Well, as we begin hearing this morning's message today, I invite you to sing this prayer with me. I think the lyrics are like, there we go. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Amen. Well, I have a college reunion towards the end of this summer, and I've been thinking a lot about the friendships and the experiences I had during my four years at Indiana. Swimming in the quarries, fraternity and sorority gatherings, seeing John Cougar Mellencamp drive around campus in his convertible, cheer on the Hoosiers with Bobby Knight as the main attraction, and of course, I know my parents are back there, the education was excellent. <laughs> but before entering college, I remember getting my acceptance letter the spring semester of my senior year in high school. And it was exciting, and I was also anxious and feeling some relief that I held that paper in my hand. But then came the space in between. The space in between the event of receiving the letter and the day that I would one day step foot on the campus as a college freshman. I was anxious, I was excited, I was sad, I was unsure. Some days I felt like that, but then most days it seemed like life just went back to normal. And yet, it would never be the same. And the unknown of what lie ahead seemed to always be spinning in my subconscious. And so I've been thinking about this land in between and how our lives can be marked by significant events, sometimes celebratory, sometimes tragic. And the space in between the event and the unknown that lie ahead can bring disorientation, confusion, anxiety, or maybe even a letdown, like, now what? Well, last week we celebrated Easter. And I wonder if afterwards, after the disciples learned that the tomb was empty and that death did not get the last word, that they were in shock or in fear or excited or all of those things wrapped together. And I wonder how many times did they silently wonder or say out loud, what just happened? And what are we supposed to do now? Jesus had always been physically with them. They could see him and hear him but now they were in this unknown space, in this space between resurrection and whatever was going to happen next. I asked my favorite local artist, Wendy Blickenstaff, if I could use this piece this week. She used it during our Stations of the Cross during Lent, but to me, it just represents this chaos, but a sense of normalcy, a sense of um, solitude or isolation or busyness. All those things that represent to me that sometimes those spaces in between. 
So we know from gospel accounts that Jesus appeared soon after the resurrection to the grieving and confused disciples. He appeared several times, including the location of the upper room. Now the upper room, and I think I've got a photo of that, was a physical space that Jesus used as his go-to gathering place for his disciples. It was most likely above someone's home, and it was a safe place where Jesus instructed his disciples. He ate the final Passover meal there with them, prayed and followed, um, and then following his crucifixion and his death, this is where he met again with the disciples who were grieving in the upper room. So this is a photo of the traditional location of what is believed to be the upper room in Jerusalem. And the Gospel of John tells us that one of the first encounters with the risen Christ happened here as Jesus first appeared to the disciples while Thomas was out, and then Jesus came again when Thomas had returned. And so even though these encounters with Christ provided glimpses of what was to come, I wonder if they were still like, did that just happen? And they were still trying to make sense of something that was hard to explain or understand. And I wonder if there were moments or stretches of days in between when they were just trying to find a slice of normal, do something they knew how to do as everything else was in chaos or a state of unknown. Now for Peter and some of his disciples, it was fishing. The account I'd like to read this morning of an encounter with the risen Christ is one that always seems to give me something new to reflect on a new perspective, and I'll read it for you. John chapter 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, We'll go with you. Well, they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And I imagine that they dropped their nets just like they had done for so many years, just like their families had done for so many years, a familiar ritual, no doubt. Then there appeared a stranger on the shore. And those of you who fish probably can imagine the dreaded question, hey guys, you catching anything? and then offer some unsolicited advice. Try the other side of the boat. And so we carry on with the story. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have you no fish? You have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. Well, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the lake. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about 100 yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, and thought there were, two, there were so many that the net was not even torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. 
I love the scene of Peter and the others coming back to find Jesus had bread laid out, fire was glowing, fish were cooking. Let's have breakfast. A normal thing in the midst of a very abnormal situation. Jesus, ever the servant, serving his disciples like he always did. But then Jesus turned to Peter for some unfinished business. Now, having just gone through the Stations of the Cross throughout Lent and the final events of Jesus' life, we may remember the last night in the garden when Jesus was arrested and Peter panicked and cut off one of the soldiers' ears. And then later he denied that he even knew Jesus three times, right after he had just told Jesus he would never deny him. But I want to pause here for a moment. Because I think there is another significant event that was probably weighing heavily on Peter that morning at the beach. Earlier, during Jesus' earthly ministry, Peter and the other disciples had been in Caesarea Philippi. And so I'll share that story with you now. Matthew chapter 16 reads, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do they say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. This is a strong statement. Jesus is naming Peter. Now the original Greek word, Petros, or small stone, or movable rock, Petros. It was often used to indicate the size of a stone that could be thrown, or a large piece of a rock. And I believe that Jesus is lifting up this rock, not just the person of Peter, but Peter in his confessional capacity. Peter, full of trust, who is revealing God's nature in the one is the one whose witness will become the rock or the building stone for the early church. So the rock is not Peter, but Peter's testimony. In this, it takes the focus away from Peter and his endearing qualities and his flaws and puts the focus on Peter's testimony. So in this moment, when everyone else was speechless, and Peter was brave and bold, speaking from his heart to the, tr- to the truth about how he saw his teacher and his friend Jesus of Nazareth, one can imagine that Jesus knew Peter and knew that he had it in him all along since Jesus sees potential. And this was a pivot point where Jesus was recognized through the faithful witness of Peter. Peter's faith and vision in seeing God and pointing that out. And when Jesus was letting him know he would be playing an important part of building the kingdom. And so now we return 
to the encounter by the lake, and what I think may be some unfinished additional business that Peter and Jesus had. Peter's witness was supposed to be a rock that would serve as a foundation for all the others, and maybe this was weighing on Peter. Jesus had made this proclamation a year or so before in Caesarea Philippi, and so now what? What exactly did this mean for Peter? So now we pick up the story again, John 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three times Jesus asked if Peter loved him, echoing Peter's denials. Pastor Joe touched on this repetitive but healing conversation last week in his Easter message. And I think about this moment and wonder if Peter felt like his failures just all melted away. And I think maybe Jesus was saying, you're not always gonna get this right. Peter had a way of getting it right one minute and wrong the next. One of the reasons Peter has always been an endearing disciple to me. But this is also a moment when I believe Jesus was coming to Peter and reminding him that Peter is his Petros, his witness. And Jesus needs him to continue to build God's kingdom of love and forgiveness and of tending and feeding Jesus' sheep, the people. Now and in this time, in this space in between, while Jesus was physically there with him, but they knew he would not be. What were those things that could remind them they are the witness? And so what counted on was love, love for Jesus and love for Jesus' people and Peter's testimony was needed to now carry on and care for the people in this space in between. Peter needed to continue to be a rock, a witness to the good news of God's true nature. It's as if Jesus was saying, stop worrying about your past mistakes, your need to compare yourself to the other disciples, all of that, and follow me. Follow me. It's how this whole thing started three years prior to that moment on the beach. Follow me. It's the same message, even in the space in between. It is still about that a follower, a student, an apprentice, one who learns by imitating a master, uneducated fishermen taught by Jesus who will now go out and teach and train others and love others. And centuries later, that translates to us. This revolutionary plan of discipleship means that to follow Jesus, we are, ourselves must first be examples that we embody the message and values of Jesus' way, of Jesus' example. It doesn't mean we're perfect, just look at Peter. And yet, Peter is always looking for the next moment to continue following Jesus and then witnessing to the new beginnings and forgiveness that he's received. 
I think this story is such a significant one and a simple reminder that we follow Jesus and his movement. And that began on that beach on that morning with a handful of tired fishermen, small beginnings with unlikely people, with faith and hope and love that changed the world. Maybe Jesus chose fishermen for a reason. To be part of all this, we need to be willing to fail a lot and keep trying. And so for me, while it's hard to not want to jump ahead to Pentecost and the birth of the church, that organized body of Christ to witness the good news to the ends of the earth, we'll celebrate that in the end of May, by the way. But today, I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of the 11 disciples who were living in this in-between time of the resurrection and the not-yet-Pentecost moment and the birth of the church. They were tasked with modeling for others what had been modeled to them, witnessing God's love to others because of what had been witnessed to them. And I believe that our testimony is part of this plan, that others are drawn to God through our example, through our words. If you could tell someone one important thing about God, what would it be? Who are the people that we encounter every day that are living in some space in between, unsure, anxious, wanting purpose, looking for hope in what lies ahead? And so for just a moment, I invite us to all sit quietly, and hopefully you all have your your Petros, your rock. I invite us to all just sit quietly, hold our rock, hold our Petros, our stone, as a reminder of Peter's witness of revealing God to others, and offer up a prayer, and maybe even the name of someone or a situation in your life, that God might use you to reveal God's true nature, and maybe offering an openness to God that you might be part of this revolutionary plan of modeling for others. And it might sound something like this. God, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know you see potential in all people. Help me find the actions and words to bring your forgiveness and love to my colleague. Give a moment of silence now. Amen. And now I want to get practical. If we're called to follow Jesus and model and speak into Jesus' ways, then to follow Jesus means to engage in growth and prayer. You remember I mentioned the upper room and how this was a place that the disciples prayed and listened to instruction from Jesus, learned what it meant to be a servant, and then encountered the risen Christ after his resurrection. Well, if we could physically find ourselves in the upper room with Jesus and the disciples praying and learning about God's ways and be encouraged, I would totally be there. But one option for us in those in-between times is a metaphorical upper room using a devotional tool called the upper room. I gleaned some of these unused copies at a local Methodist church 
And, um, and I wanted to bring them here today and offer them up as a tool, a tool for you to use. This devotion, this particular devotion has been around for many, many years. And I've always found it to be just this manageable rhythm, a way to start my day with a little bite-sized selection of scripture, and then someone who writes and reflects on that scripture and then offers a brief prayer. It sets my compass for the day, and sometimes there's a prompt to see God moving in my life or ways that I might see God moving in the lives of others. It's a rhythm that reminds me that I'm a follower, and to follow, I need to be reminded and instructed by my teacher, by Jesus, and the stories of his time caring and tending his people. In the upper room, we might gather through the pages of this devotion to encounter Christ, and just as important, it's where Christ encounters us. Maybe there's a place in your home or your bedroom that you can keep this devotion and commit to meeting God there daily. I found it really interesting that the devotion for today is on the road to Emmaus, which is another encounter story where the disciples encountered Jesus um, after the resurrection. And so um, this is a monthly, actually there's two months in every edition, and if this is something that our church would like to see provided, we can talk about having this available all the time for us to use as part of our rhythm of becoming a follower. And so we can meet with God just as we are, and inviting God to equip us with wisdom, direction, and clarity, and a desire to be God's witness, a Petros, at home, at work, in our community, as we seek to follow Jesus in this land in between. And so now I'd like to turn our attention back one last time to our stone, our Petros. And I invite you to think about or name a person in your life who has modeled Jesus's love and forgiveness to you. Someone who has revealed God's true nature to you, your Petros, your witness, someone whose example that you can look to in the space in between when things become disorienting or confusing or you feel like you're in a holding pattern, someone whose faith has been an example for you to continue moving forward. So I invite you to pick up the marker that hopefully you all have. And I want to give you just about, I don't know, less than a minute or so to write that person's name or draw a picture of that person. And if there are several people, something that will serve as a reminder in the days ahead. And I think I've got a slide. Oh, there we go. So I'm asking you to write the name of a person or persons who have been a witness of God's true nature to you, love and healing, of forgiveness, of peace, of second and third and fourth chances, of compassion, of seeking spiritual growth. Who in your world has been a witness to God to you?
So I invite you to take, take this rock home with you. And may it serve as a reminder, if you find yourself in some in-between times, that you might have this as a tangible reminder of people who witness God's love and God's true nature in your life. Whatever, whatever your in-between days might be over the days and weeks ahead, May we remember God's faithfulness and witness in the people who have witnessed who God is to us, that we might see God's nature in these people through their witness. And may we be that witness to those we come in contact with. And so today, we have two tangible reminders, two things. We can physically see and touch during this in-between time. We have the upper room tangible time that we can spend inviting God to equip us and connect with us so we might be used to witness God's true nature, and our Petros, our rock reminding us of those who follow Jesus in our midst and are an example to us. Please pray with me. Risen Christ, this morning we give thanks for the witness of people in our lives who follow you that we might be examples in real time of how to love and care for others. Lord, we invite you to use us in this way, that our witness will be a rock, a stone for others to tangibly see as a model and a window of who you are. In these unknown times and in days when we feel like we're in between, guide our steps let us experience the unconditional love you have for us, and may we be used to model and witness this love for others. Amen.